We will be looking at verses 1 through 33 today, but right now I'm simply going to read verses 1 through 3 and we'll get to the others as we go. Hear now God's word. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. Thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Division or separation between God and man results in death. That's what death is. And division among people also results in death. Division among the races is death, strife, conflict, hatred, racism. Everywhere in every culture in all times, racial and ethnic suspicion, hostility, and abuse has been an ugly stain upon the world. In a fallen world, it has always been and always will be unless and until hearts are changed. We're called to love God and we are called to love our neighbors and man can do neither without the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts 10 and 11 offer a beautiful story of how the gospel of Christ begins the work of bringing together the people that Jesus loves. Red and yellow, black and white. They are precious in his sight. Sadly, like other sins, this racial and ethnic strife and division have also been tracked into the church. The church is a hospital where the sick come to be healed. The church specializes in cardiac problems. Our main heart problem is that we don't love God and we don't love our neighbors. Like most cultures of the past, our current culture fans the flames of division and political and political polarization uh, in every possible way. Every, everyone sees the problem of racism, but almost nobody thinks that they're racist. It's like asking how many of you are liars? And the true answer is 100%, because we have all lied. We are all born with this urge to evade responsibility. And the quickest way to evade responsibility is to lie. The same is true for racial and ethnic hostility. It's easy to shift the blame to those people who we don't know and who we imagine are just weird, if not evil. And if it weren't for the true gospel of Jesus Christ, as clearly presented in the Bible, then I would say it is a hopeless situation. This is the context of the story of Peter and Cornelius 
that we find in Acts chapters 10 and 11. John Stott states it this way, How would God succeed in breaking down Peter's deep-seated racial intolerance? The principal subject of these chapters is not so much the conversion of Cornelius as it is the conversion of Peter. This means that Acts 10 and 11 are also then about Peter overcoming his racial prejudice toward the Gentiles. In this text, we see Cornelius, who was a Gentile, being made ready to meet Peter. And then Peter is going to do two things. First, he's going to preach the gospel to Cornelius, and we'll get to that next Lord's Day. And that will lead to the conversion of Cornelius. However, something else is going to happen. And this is more of a process, really, than it is a single event. Peter is going to realize more and more that the gospel is actually good news to the whole world. To men of every tribe and nation. And that God shows no partiality. And neither should we. Conversion, to give it a definition, is a change of perspective, of attitude, of emotion or viewpoint from one of indifference, disbelief or antagonism to one of acceptance, faith and enthusiastic support. In these chapters, we'll not only see, as we said, the conversion of Cornelius, but also the Apostle Peter. Cornelius needed to hear the gospel and to follow Christ, and Peter needed to follow Christ and have his perspective changed, and he needs to see with new eyes. We read read last time in Acts chapter 9, verse 43, that Peter, we left him staying... Uh, Many days in Joppa was Simon the Tanner. Now this was remarkable in itself since tanners worked with dead animals in, in order to convert their skins into leather so they were regarded as ceremonially unclean. So perhaps Peter, it seems, was already in the process of rethinking some of his long held views. Again, shifts in our perspective and attitudes don't usually happen suddenly, but rather gradually over through a series of events. Further revelation in chapter 10, along with the instructions to go and baptize the Gentile, Cornelius, is a key turning point in the spread of the gospel and in the development of the church. In fact, most of us, if not all of us, would not be sitting here today if this event had not taken place. You might remember that Matthew tells us that Jesus had given Peter the keys to the kingdom. And we've already seen that Peter is a key figure here in, uh, in the beginning of the church, in the book of Acts. We've seen him use these keys effectively, opening the kingdom to the Jews on the day of Pentecost as he preached, and they all heard Peter preach in their own language. They heard the gospel, men from all kinds of nations, Jews from all kinds of nations. Now he's about to use them again to open the kingdom to the Gentiles. 
He opened the kingdom uh, not only to the Jews on the day of Pentecost, but then to the Samaritans shortly after that. And in Acts 15, 7, Peter will remind the Jerusalem council. He's going to be called a task, as it were. He's going to remind the Jerusalem council of this, his role in this. And here's what he said in Acts 15, 7. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that my mouth, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Now the Old Testament did not prescribe this kind of hostile division. In fact, the Old Testament already declared that God had a purpose for all the Gentile nations by choosing Abraham and his family. It was God's intention from the very beginning to bless all the nations and all the families of the earth. Moreover, the psalmist and the prophets foretold of the day when God's Messiah would inherit the nations. Psalm 2, for example. The Messiah would be their light and all nations would flow to the house of the Lord and God would pour out His Spirit on all mankind. Historian Alfred Edersheim observed The tragedy was that Israel twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism, became filled with racial pride and hatred, despised Gentiles as dogs, and developed traditions which kept them apart. No Orthodox Jew would ever enter the home of a Gentile, even a God-fearer, or invite such into his home. On the contrary, all familiar Intercourse with Gentiles was forbidden, and no pious Jew would, of course, have sat down at the table of a Gentile. So there was a deeply entrenched prejudice against the Gentiles, which had to be overcome by a mostly Jewish Christian community, including Peter. This was and remains one of the great hurdles to be cleared as the gospel reaches to every tribe and tongue. We already saw in Acts 8 how God took special steps to prevent the perpetuation of the Jewish-Samaritan division in the church. And we now see him break through uh, to prevent a Jewish and Gentile division. In fact, this is such an important point that Luke tells this story twice in the book of Acts. First in his own words here in Acts 10, and then again in Peter's retelling of it later as he he explained it to the Jerusalem church. We'll see that in chapter 11. Peter is going to be God's instrument in this development. So let's read again uh, from uh, verses 1 through 8. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And so he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up, to me, up for a memorial before God. 
Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And he will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. We are introduced here to a man named Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion. What that means is he was in charge of about 100 men, which means he was the equivalent of a captain or a company commander. He was stationed at Caesarea, a garrison city named after Augustus Caesar, the administrative capital of the province of Judea, which had an impressive harbor that had been built by Herod the Great. In addition... He seems to have been an exemplary family man, a devout man, one who feared God with all of his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. This probably means that he had accepted the God and ethical standards of the Jews and attended synagogue services, but hadn't become a full proselyte because he hadn't been circumcised. Nevertheless, although he is later in verse 22 described as having a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, he was still a Gentile, an outsider, excluded from God's covenant with Israel. It would be hard to overstate the enormous hostile chasm that still existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. One day at about three in the afternoon, which Luke has already identified as a time of prayer among the Jews, Cornelius, who was praying, had a vision in which he distinctly saw an angel that called him by name. In response to his question, the angel told him that his prayers and his gifts to the poor had come up as a a memorial offering before God. He was instructed that he must send men to Joppa about 32 miles along the along the coast to the south to fetch Simon Peter. Peter, remember, is kind of a nickname Jesus gave him, but it becomes his surname. Hadn't really thought about this before, so Peter is his last name. It's Simon Peter. So, uh, and that will be mentioned several times that this had now become his surname. He's staying by the sea with another man named Simon, Simon the Tanner. It's interesting to note, though, that it uh, it was at Joppa centuries before that the disobedient prophet Jonah uh, had boarded a ship in his rebellious attempt to run away from God. And you remember why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh? He didn't want the same kind of situation. Those Ninevites, he didn't want anything to do with them. Those Gentiles. He was afraid. In fact, he complained. I don't want to go tell them to repent because I know what's going to happen. They're going to repent and you're going to have mercy on them and I don't want you to have mercy on them. Well, God won that contention. Jonah had his own racial or ethnic prejudices. And so Cornelius the centurion, who was used to giving commands, immediately obeyed this command to him, and he sent two servants and one soldier to Joppa. 
We should always see the story from both the perspective of God's work and also the actions of the people he is working for and on and through. God is initiating his own saving work in the, in the life of Cornelius prior to his outward conversion. God's already at work. And so this initial incident set the stage for what follows. So this story about Cornelius is part of the bigger story about how God is making good on the promise that he made to Abraham when he told him that he would be the father to many nations. We saw the dramatic beginning of this on the day of Pentecost when the various Jews who were gathered in Jerusalem heard the gospel in their own language and from there the gospel will spread to all the nations, to every race and ethnic group for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone. We now turn to the Apostle Peter a man steeped in Jewish law and tradition who is the other main person in this story. Cornelius and Peter from two different races and cultural worlds are about to come together in a very dramatic way. We are about to witness two crucial and critical conversions. Verses 9 through 23. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. That sounds like me every time I pray. Um, But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners Descending to him and let down to the earth, in it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air, and a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, boy, this is a familiar thing from Peter, isn't it? But Peter said, no, not so, Lord, uh, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times. And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now while Peter wondered, uh, wondered, wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate, and they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house to hear words from you, to hear a sermon. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them. Some uh, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. So Peter and a 
group of other Christians went with him and, and followed them back to Joppa. So this is the story about the second person that God is going to change. How would God succeed in breaking down Peter's deep-seated prejudices? You recall that Peter, remember, I know this is a process because you'll recall that later Peter will have a lapse in this matter in the book of Galatians where Paul will publicly rebuke him for hypocrisy over this issue. When he got back together and he had a lot of pressure on him, you got to understand this is not just a personal thing with Peter. Peter is part of the whole Jewish community, the Jewish Christian community, and so there was a lot of pressure here. Whole, all this history of this culture of racial and ethnic separation. So in Galatians 2, we read, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, Paul says, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. So this is a part of God's sanctification in the life of Peter, and it didn't all come at one time. Well, Peter's vision in Acts 10 challenged the basic distinction between clean and unclean foods, which he had been brought up to make. Take a look at his response in verse 14. Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So deeply ingrained in Peter was the law that forbade the eating of unclean things that he at first, refuses to obey God's direct command. The voice spoke to him a second time, do not call anything uh, impure that God has made clean. And so the Spirit related this to the distinction between clean and unclean people and told him to stop making those distinctions. What the Lord was teaching Peter had far more significance than clean and unclean food. The Lord is changing the game entirely. Something new and powerful is happening. In fact, the fact that Peter grasped this is clear from his later statement, which we find in verse 28, where he says, But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. As a result, we see... Verse 23, then Peter invited the men into the house as his guest. We must not miss the significance of this invitation. Because no self-respecting Israelite would ever invite a Gentile into his home because it was against their law. It was an invitation that clashed against his culture. I remember as a boy, there was a black man named Eli. He was a kind and hardworking Christian man. He did construction work for the company that my father worked for. And on occasion, on a weekend, my grandmother would hire him to do yard work. So he would catch the bus and come over to our part of town to do yard work. And he was always so kind to me. I was just a little guy. And I remember when it came time for lunch, my grandmother had fixed him a sandwich and taken it outside, and then we sat down at the dining table, and I asked her, 
why Eli couldn't come in and eat with us. And she said uh, that it was not proper for a black man to come into the house or even to come to the front door. I didn't understand why. But she did let me go outside and eat my sandwich with Eli. And all that is not so much to be critical of my grandmother. She was a product of the culture she grew up in, and I was a product of that culture, and we are all products of the cultures we grew up in. But I want to remind you that we are Christians, and we are called to conquer the culture, to change the culture, and to make the culture Christian. The culture is going to hell. We're called to be salt and to be light and to make the culture Christ-like. So Peter was now taking another step toward accepting Gentiles by inviting them into his home to sleep in his beds, to be his guest, and God was at work on both ends with Cornelius and Peter to accomplish his purposes. At the very time Peter was praying and seeing his vision, the men from Cornelius were approaching the city. While Peter was perplexed about the meaning of what he had seen, they arrived at the house. Coincidence? The spirit then told him that the men were looking for him and he must not hesitate to go with them. And then Peter went down and introduced himself to them and they explained to him the purpose of their visit. Verses 24 through 33. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Keep in mind Peter's bringing an entourage with him from Joppa and now there's this entourage of Cornelius' family and friends who've gathered so it's a pretty good setting. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. And we'll say more about that next week. But Peter lifted him up saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go into one of one of another nation. You know, you know how bad this looks, Peter says, for me to be in your house. But God has shown me that I should not call any man un, uh, any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, for what reason? Have you sent for me? And so Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea, and when he comes he'll speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. In this passage, we find Simon Peter receiving a divine revelation to take the gospel to someone who is not only of a different race, 
But someone, Cornelius the centurion, who represents the very enemy of Israel. The Bible says that Peter entered the house and declared that God does not show favoritism. Peter's willingness to enter the house was a major factor in the walls of prejudice being torn down to provide an atmosphere of receptivity and openness for the gospel. Peter entered their world and, as we'll see, boldly proclaimed the gospel. When Peter stepped through Cornelius' door, he had to step over hundreds of years of hatred, false teaching, and cultural differences. He had to be willing to experience criticism from the traditionalist, the legalist, and the racist. Peter had to walk away from the approval of men because he was seeking the approval of God. On August 28, 1963, Martin Luther King Jr. delivered a powerful and memorable speech from the steps of the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. He spoke about freedom for all men and denounced the chains of segregation and discrimination. His closing exhortation, quote, For all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics to join hands and sing the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last, was indeed a powerful and memorable speech. But as followers of Christ, we must take this admirable aspiration much further. While King said he dreamed of a society where, quote, children would not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, Christians have a higher calling that directs our relationships with others. We are called to go beyond the content of character and to relate to individuals on the basis of God's gospel of grace. As one person put it, I like this, from the story of Peter's transformation from race relations to grace relations, we discover several important principles that guide us in developing a mature faith. The story illustrates the need for ongoing growth and maturity as followers of Jesus Christ. We're following him somewhere. We're changing or being changed in the way we think, in the way we see the world, in the way we see people, in the way we see culture, in the way we see ourselves. There are many like Cornelius who need to be converted to become followers of Christ, but there are also many like Peter who still need to be converted in other ways. Peter was blessed to spend three amazing years with the Lord Jesus. He received personal instruction 
From the world's greatest teacher, he witnessed miracles. He even performed miracles under the Lord's supervision. He walked on water. He was invited to be a backstage guest at the glorious transfiguration of Christ. Somehow, even with all those special instructions, Peter failed to fully grasp the significance of the gospel to the Gentiles, to all nations, to every tribe and tongue. So what does the Bible say then, as we wrap up here, about racism? Christ is King of kings and the Lamb of God, whose shed blood was purchased who has his shed blood purchased his people, according to Revelation 5.9, from every tribe, from every tongue, and people, and nation. Period. Christ's gospel, according to Isaiah 2, verse 3, will lead all the nations and many peoples to stream into his kingdom. And according to Psalm 22, all the families of the nations will worship before Christ, for the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over all the nations, all of them. The gospel makes race virtually insignificant. There is no religiously important category for race in the biblical scheme. The only two groups who figure into the history of redemption are covenant keepers and covenant breakers, believers and unbelievers, and believers don't hate unbelievers. Since Christ, as Lord of of his church, has given us such great promises, we should expect that the ethical imperatives of Scripture would prohibit racial prejudice and racist practices and attitudes because a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. We will continue this, Lord willing, next Lord's Day as we look further at what happens as Peter preaches to Cornelius. And then we're going to see an enormous change begin to take place in the church as it spreads and grows and fills the earth. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge before you that we have all sinned and fall short of your glory. Every man and woman of every tribe, race, or nation stands in need of your gospel of grace. We are thankful that in your sovereign will, you sent Peter to bear witness of the gospel to Cornelius, and we are also grateful that you not only converted Cornelius to Christ, but that in so doing, you also worked in Peter to change his own heart and mind, and that through these and many others you have advanced your kingdom. We, too, have received the benefits of your new creation in Christ and made us, you have made us a part of your household of faith. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Galatians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. 
And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. The early church faced the problems of entrenched racism. The gospel of Jesus Christ introduced a radical new order that restores communion among all people from every tribe and tongue. We should want to live this way because you know the comfort that comes from being in Christ and belonging to his family. You used to primarily identify yourself with other groups, even your nuclear family or your race or your region of the country. But now you first and foremost identify yourself with Christ and with the household of God. We are the children of God. We are Christians. This is why when a man like Pastor Ning Feng from Myanmar can come from the other side of the world and walk into my house with his wife, and within five minutes we have recognized that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. This is why we work with Russians and Uzbeks to expand God's kingdom. The thing that unites us is the gospel of Christ. That's the good news. He tears down the divisions. Sin is the thing that divides. Suddenly a bunch of insecure, selfish people have been transformed and have started thinking the same, loving each other completely, and regarding everyone else as superior to themselves. What seemed impossible is now attainable in Christ. It is a miracle, and this is how the world will know that we are his disciples indeed. This is why racism within the church is especially heinous, because it goes directly against the gospel. Galatians 3, 28 and 29, there is neither Jew nor Greek, There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we pray today that you will be pleased to send your Holy Spirit to apply your word to our lives and to assist us in receiving it and and being nourished by it. We live in perilous times where many people trample your word. Every man does what is right in his own eyes, and yet we know that your judgment on these sins is also present. Misery and death are abundant, for you will not be mocked. What men sow, they shall also reap. Surely a harvest of despair surrounds us. We pray for the peace of our city and nation, that you would spare her for the sake of your kingdom, that you would establish righteousness and justice in the land, that you would use us and our children to advance this cause 
Please raise up faithful servants who will go and boldly proclaim your gospel. We pray that the outward words that we heard with our ears this day may through your grace be grafted to our hearts, that they might bring forth in us the fruit of your grace to the honor and praise of your name through Jesus our Lord. Bless now our rest, our feast, and our rejoicing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Amen. Amen.